name is Adam, and it's my joy to be one of the pastors here at our church. I also want to give a shout out to everybody uh, experiencing worship online right now or who will uh, participate in this message later on this week on our website or our podcast. A couple weeks ago, I was in Liberty playing pickleball with some friends. This picture was taken about 20, you know, you got you to search for where to play. This picture was taken about 20 minutes before a person I would describe as abrasive said to us, hey, are you guys in the tournament? And we were like, oh, uh, I, don't, I don't think so. Well, you're going to need to get off the court ASAP. Going to get off the court ASAP. People are going to be coming in for the tournament. They're going to need to warm up. First thought that went through my mind. Man, I'm 39 years old. I got two kids. Don't talk to me like I'm a kid. Second thought, you can't say that. You're a pastor. Third thought, <laughs> man, there, there was no sign. There was nothing on their website about a tournament. So we had no idea that, that we were in people's way or else we would, we would have done something different. And so I concluded that line of thinking with an eye roll, passive aggressively, and we started to make our way off the court. And then he said, well, you guys, you guys can finish your game. Fourth thought, that's not what ASAP means. <laughs> right? I was, I, was, I, was just, I was just annoyed. Wanted to give that guy a piece on my mind because as my six-year-old says, I took that offensive. That's a phrase she says. Now, friends, I'm embarrassed to say that actually sometimes it, it actually doesn't take too much to offend me. I'm a lot like Bruce Banner when he turns into the Hulk. You remember that line from Avengers? That's my secret. I'm always angry. The day I wrote this sermon last Wednesday, my car stereo was acting up, and my daughter, who's six, was supposed to have a procedure, not a big deal, but she was supposed to have a procedure on Friday, and despite our consultation over five weeks ago, they waited until two days beforehand to tell us that we were out of network and it was going to be like $6,000. So, in a sermon about outrage, let me tell you, pr practicing what you preach is the worst. It's the worst. Deeply outraged on Wednesday, all day. So I had to deal with it. Friends, it seems like our world is fueled by outrage. Spend two minutes on social media, and you'll see that's quickly evident. Cambridge University did a study, and they found that negative social media posts get twice as much engagement as positive ones. This is a quote from the article. They found that political posts from accounts criticizing or mocking an opposing political party or ideology received twice as many shares as posts that uplifted or celebrated their own partisan views. People can post about something that offends them, and then it gets more response because people either agree or they're offended by the offense, and they still wind up engaging. You can find conversations online right now about banning books or movies or songs or music videos. People will boycott restaurants or even entire states uh, because of something that offends them. It seems like the spirit of our age can be summed up in a famous line from the 1976 movie Network. We'll see how much I can get away with here. I don't know if you've heard this line. It's, I'm mad as heck, and I'm not going to take this anymore. You ever heard that? Friends, outrage and offense aren't limited to secular society. A lot of times it's Christians that are at the start of a lot of these boycotts. I'm old enough to remember when the Teletubbies were controversial. Doesn't that seem like simpler times? I almost long for these days. So, is being offended 
a feature or a bug of Christianity? That's what we're going to spend the next three weeks looking at as we have this series called Unoffendable. It's inspired by the same book of the same title, and its author, Brant Hansen, said this, I used to think it was incumbent upon a Christian to take offense. I now think we should be the most refreshingly unoffendable people on a planet that seems to spin on an access of offense. In the book of Psalms, the very first one, we read a description of someone who loves God, whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water. That's a much different picture than what sometimes our instinct is, which is like anger from inside out. Right? We have a tree planted by the water and anger. Two different pictures of what living like a Christian looks like. The thesis of Hansen's book is that you can choose to be unoffendable. Now he admits that this is a counterintuitive and maybe even ridiculous idea. So I'd encourage you to decide for yourself as we explore this concept in the next three weeks. Next week, we're gonna talk about being unoffendable according to your peers. And so if you have friends that that could use some encouragement, I'd I'd encourage you to invite them to church with you next week. Especially if you have kids or grandkids that uh, you think could use a little shot of confidence before they start school, I've been cooking up a little something. I'm ready to let loose next week. And then in week three, we're going to look at how our outrage can best be channeled uh, serving or defending others. We're going to be looking at Jesus turning over the, temp- the t- tables in the temple. That's what this is a picture of, by the way. So that's kind of the concept over the next three weeks. Today, we're going to be looking at, at the fact that anger is a natural reaction but an unhelpful response. And friends, what I hope we'll, dis- we'll discover together as we study God's word is that we need to choose agape over anger. And if you're like me, when we read the scripture, you need to buckle up. We're going to be reading from Luke chapter 6, and this is Jesus' words. And other than that, it doesn't need much of an introduction. Luke is a historical recording of the life and teachings and death and resurrection of Jesus. And these are his words from chapter 6, verses 27 through 31. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks of you, And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Well, friends, how's all that going? Anyone else like me and think, Jesus, uh, we need to think about this a little bit. I'm not so sure that's very realistic. Let's go down the list. Folks hating you, cursing you, mistreating you, slapping you, stealing from you, begging of you. All those, in my mind, are very offensive. So shouldn't our reaction be to take offense? Not according to Jesus. If our natural reaction is to be offended, 
then we need a supernatural power to help us respond in any other way. If we can have any ability to actually do what Jesus commands us to, we're going to need a source outside of ourselves. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can begin to try and ascend to what Jesus is calling us to. That's called sanctification. When we transform from being self-centered to Christ-centered, that's what the journey of discipleship is. As, as we decrease and God increases in our hearts. Now we could spend a lot of time on each of these verses, but I want to zoom in on just one. The first part of verse 29, when Jesus said, if someone slaps you on the one cheek, turn to them the other also. This is just one in a shocking list of instructions from Jesus. Wait, wait, wait. So Jesus, if, if, if I'm mistreated, I'm supposed to just, just take it? Well, in a word, yes. Now, I want to say this very plainly. I do not believe that Jesus endorses abuse. If you are in an abusive relationship with any friend or family member, I do not believe that's part of the abundant life Christ calls us to. So I'm not trying to baptize abuse with this verse. If you're in a scenario like that, you can talk confidentially with one of our pastors and we can try and get you the help that you need. I do think there is a physical and a metaphorical sense to Jesus' command. Biblical scholar Craig Keener notes that in Jesus' day, a blow on the right cheek was the most grievous insult in the, in the ancient Near East. So in the first century, when Jesus said this, was, if someone slapped you on the cheek, it was not just to impart physical harm, it was an insult as well. When we're insulted, when our sensibilities are affronted, when our allegiances are mocked, when we're offended, the response, according to Jesus, is not retaliation, it's non-resistance. Not an outraged reaction, but a peaceful response. In what it meant to turn the other cheek, Methodist founder John Wesley described it like this. To yield to the repeating affront or injury, rather than gratify resentment in righting yourself in any method not becoming Christian love. There are a few things I love more than getting all Hulk mode and righting myself. But rather than be fueled by offense and outrage and strike back, Jesus says we're to turn the other cheek. So how do we go about even trying that? To not return insult with insult, but to do to others as you would have them do to you. When we do this, we imitate God, who does not return our insults, injuries, and sins against God's name with punishment, with retaliation, but rather shows us to be a God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. How could any of us set aside our right to be offended? It's like a hobby of mine. Who would actually want to try and do this? What Jesus says all over Luke 6, how do we even go about this? Well, that's the point. It's not whether we want to or not. It's about the choices we make. 
And I think that's revealed in the language Jesus uses. In English, we use the word love for all sorts of things. I love the chiefs. I love that we have to go to four services next week. See how I worked that in there? There it is. Eight, nine, 10, and 11. Now, if you show up at 1045, you'll just, you just get a cup of coffee. You'll be fine. But next week, it is going to change, all right? But I love that we're growing and have to do that. I love Sonic, happy hour. I love my family. We use the word love for all sorts of things. All sorts of things. In Greek, the language of the New Testament, there's a lot more nuance. There are four Greek words that can be translated love. And they have different aspects. C.S. Lewis talked about this in his famous book, The Four Loves. Eros is romantic love. Philo is love and affection for companions. Think like Philadelphia, the city of slippery turf. I'm sorry, I mean the city of brotherly love. Storge is love for your family, for your kin. But there's a fourth rendering of the word love, agape. I actually have C.S. Lewis um, on tape uh, bought a, like an audiobook version of some lectures he gave. And so you'll have to forgive me if I mispronounce it because in his thick British accent, he pronounces it agape, agape. So if that slips out, I apologize. But I always, I always love thinking of C.S. Lewis in, uh, in those lectures. Agape. When Jesus says in verse 27, to love your enemies, he doesn't use the word philo. Our love for our enemies is not going to be like our love for our children or our choir members or your pastor or, or your neighbor, your actual neighbor on the street. No, this is a different type of love. Sometimes when I encounter things during my prep for messages, I think to myself, I can't say any better than that. I just want to read it to them. So I want to read you a quote from William Barclay, my favorite Bible scholar. Um, he's Scottish and taught at the University of Glasgow. This is what he said about agape. Agape describes an active feeling of benevolence toward other people. It means that no matter what others do to us, we will never allow ourselves to desire anything but their highest good. We cannot love our enemies as we love our nearest and dearest. I think this is a really important distinction. We cannot love our enemies as we love our nearest and dearest. To do so would be unnatural impossible and even wrong. But we can see to it that no matter what others do to us, even if they insult, ill-treat, and insure us, we will seek nothing but their highest good. One thing emerges from this. The love we bear to our dear ones is something we cannot help. We speak of falling in love. It's something which happens to us. But this love toward our enemies is not only something of the heart, it is something of the will. It is something which, by the grace of Christ, we may will ourselves to do. If you felt like a bad Christian your whole life because you can't generate this love of enemies, this emotion that you feel for your family or your friends, I'm not sure that's what Jesus is asking us to do. Because in verse 27, when we read, love your enemies, Jesus uses agapate from that root word, Agape. Agape means loving our enemies, especially when we don't feel like it. That's the whole point. It's not a feeling, it's a choice. And I think that's good news. Because I can't control how I feel, but we can make a choice. We can choose not to be offended. 
How? Not just on our own strength, but through the power of the Holy Spirit working within us. That's my only shot. I think part of our problem is that we major in minors. I think we're too easily offended in the first place. And so what I want to present you is a spectrum that I've found helpful in my own life, in my own mind. And that's, that's a spectrum of outrage from annoyed to offended to wounded. When the guy was rude to my friends and I at pickleball, I was offended. I don't like being told what to do, and I wanted to keep playing pickleball. That's simple. I was offended. Well, really? That belongs in the annoyed bucket, not the offended bucket. He was trying to get ready for a tournament with which I was told there was a sign just on the other side of the fence that we didn't see. So my pickleball incident goes in the annoyed zone. So does being frustrated with the car pickup line at school or plans being canceled by weather, the soda that you like being out of order at Quick Trip. I could go on because I'm annoyed all the time. I woke up annoyed that it was raining. <laughs> it's going to make my glasses all smudgy. Are people going to come to church? It's going to mess up this hair. This doesn't just happen. Come on. <laughs> I woke up annoyed. I'm annoyed all the time. We can't, that's no way to live life. So friends, when stuff is annoying, practicing what you preach, we got to get over it. We just don't need to be annoyed as much as we are. Now, when we've actually been insulted or mistreated, then we need to lovingly deal with it. Anger is a totally natural and understandable reaction. You can't help how you feel. Again, I'm angry or annoyed every day. But anger is an unhelpful response. It's a very natural reaction, but I have learned through pain that anger is an unhelpful response. We need to submit our will to God's will and through the Holy Spirit make the choice to treat others the way we want to be treated. We can choose to respond this way over being offended and outraged. We can lovingly deal with it. Now, I also want to describe sometimes beyond being offended when we've been legitimately wounded, more than insulted, we've been wounded. As your pastor, I know that people in our congregation have endured incredible hurt, typically from people who should have loved them the most. I know people from this congregation whose stories include deep wounds, both from people that they love and sometimes strangers because of their gender, because of their race, because of their sexuality. There are times when we have been wounded and my counsel to us during those times is not, nah, just get over it. That's not what these three weeks are about but rather how can we take time to heal from it? Because then we can return to lovingly deal with it from a place of support and a place of strength. I think a big part of our problem is that we treat every annoyance like a wound. Part of our problem is if something's a two and we treat it like a nine. Every single thing is not red alert, wounded, the whole world's against us. 
Some stuff we need to just get over. Some stuff we do need to lovingly deal with. And other stuff takes time for God to heal through a variety of means. Through support of friends and family, through therapy, could, could go on and on about those things. But friends, as good as it feels, outrage will not heal us. It feels good as a reaction, but anger will not fuel a Christ-centered response. We have to choose agape over anger. God is an expert in lovingly dealing with rejection and mistreatment. That's the whole good news of Jesus. You can give God your outrage and ask God to replace it with the will to love your enemies. A choice that we make, not a feeling that we have. And when we do this, we will fulfill what it says in the book of James. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. My friends, my church family, in an age of outrage, let us choose agape over anger. And everybody said, amen. amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for today, for both the challenge and encouragement of your word. God, on the face of it, turning the other cheek seems ridiculous at best and weak at worst. And yet in the life of Jesus, we see true strength. Who was silent as a lamb before shearers as they hurled insults at him before his execution. And by his endurement of the cross showed the foolishness of the world. God, without your Holy Spirit enabling us, guiding us, growing in us, we cannot live up to what Jesus calls us to. And we know that you are slow to anger, that you are compassionate, and you are strong. God, don't withhold this spirit from us. Give us all that we need in order to be people who can choose to mold our will to yours. God, help us in a culture of outrage to stand out, to be rooted and peaceful like a tree planted by streams of water. God, we thank you for your precious word, which shows us the most excellent way. God, we confess that we let minor things become major things, and some major things we'd rather not deal with. So as good as it feels, God, help us not to choose anger, but instead to remember that despite how we feel, we have a choice and that we can love others with the same love that you freely give us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.